All right, Jesus, help us understand that passage. Apply it to our lives. Amen. Good to see you, 945. Thank you for watching us, those on the podcast. If aliens landed on our planet, and I'm betting you've never heard a sermon start with that phrase before, so I want, I want points for originality. If aliens landed and they asked the question, what makes humans different than all the other animals on the planet? According to a lot of anthropologists, they would probably arrive at two things after discarding several hypotheses. So it's certainly not our bodies. We are slower, weaker, and fatter than most other animals on the planet. So they might think, well, maybe it's their language skills. That's a good guess. That's a good hypothesis because, you know, it does help us to be different. But you know what? Other species can communicate. Not as well as we can, but they can communicate. Surely it's our intelligence that sets us apart, right? Well, again, that helps, and it's allowed us to invent things like medicine and rockets and Justin Bieber songs and, you know, all of that. Though that latter, that latter seriously calls into question whether or not we actually are smarter than the Neanderthals, who, for all we know, communicated with high-pitched squeals, not unlike Justin Bieber. What really actually sets us apart, according to a lot of anthropologists, is two things. First, culture. Culture, the definition of culture is a set of knowledge, skills, beliefs, and values that are transmitted from one person to another. And the second is connected to the first. It's our ability to adapt. Because we can transmit knowledge and skills and values and all of that, we can adapt to different environments. Figure out how to survive in the Ice Age by hunting mammoths with spears or survive in the tropics by fishing with hooks. In fact, the Neanderthals had very similar brains to our brain. You may know some people who have brains like that. Maybe they even came with you today. But, but the Neanderthals lacked the ability to create culture. Part of what it means to be human, to be made in the image of God, who is a culture maker, is that we make and we can change culture. And here's why that is good news. Because even if you're not a Christian, it is really easy to look at certain trends and attitudes in our culture and just get depressed and discouraged. And for those of us who are Christians, sometimes we feel like we're exiles in a post-Christian culture that increasingly doesn't like us. And as I've said throughout this series, a lot of that is deserved because Christians have done some stupid stuff, but we've got bad PR. And a couple weeks ago, I talked about how we can change culture by living a refreshingly different life. And this is part two. That was part one. This is part two of that sermon. And the story we read today, I think, shows us some additional ways that we can shape the cultural atmosphere around us. Not just the culture culture, but in your home, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your retirement community. We have the power to shape culture around us. I also think Daniel's story shows us a little bit of how we can sort of thrive even in our personal exile experiences, like financial problems or job problems or relationship problems. I think Daniel gives us a hint about how we can thrive even in those situations. You know, we all, we all want to be happy. Everyone wants to be happy. And happy is fine. But the, the problem with happiness is happiness is based on your happenings. And if your happenings aren't happening to happen the way that you want them to happen, then you're not happy. So nobody ever gets happy by chasing the happy life because it's elusive. You get happy by chasing the meaningful life. And in the story that Rich just read, at the end of it, we find out that Daniel manages to shift the religious policy of an entire empire. He had a meaningful life. And in the process, he was able to personally thrive, even though he's tossed to the lions, which definitely counts as an exile experience. Right? You're thrown to the lions, that feels like exile. 
Now, as a boy, background, as a boy, Daniel was taken into exile by the Babylonians who had conquered Jerusalem, and he became a prominent government official. But then the Persian Empire, decades later, Persian Empire conquered Babylon, and the new Persian king kept Daniel on because he appreciated Daniel's services, even though Daniel was a Jewish exile, and even though by this point, Daniel is about 80 years old, showing that retirement is not biblical. Okay, you're not dead, you're not done. Nobody in the Bible retires and plays golf. You know why? Because golf was invented by the devil. <laughs> Serious man, just, just watch what happens to your language when you golf. Golf causes sin. This is just a biblical teaching, okay? And then the text says, Now Daniel just so distinguished himself by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Big promotion. And this is the first point to improve the cultural climate in your school or office or retirement community, wherever you're at, first thing, we just basic, we need to be good at what we do to earn a hearing. When I taught college, I had a student who wrote his term paper on how evolution was wrong. And that was fine if he wants to argue that, and he made some good points along the way. The problem was the only source, and I do mean the only source he cited in his term paper, was his pastor. Now, I'm a pastor. I hope someone, ever, someone cites me in their term paper. But you know what? A college-level term paper needs more than one source, and it needs a whole lot more data. And so I pointed this out to him. He changed nothing in his paper. Nothing. So I gave him a C- minus because I'm an easy grader. Well, he came back, and he said, my Bible study group and I discussed it, and we decided the paper was worth an A. And that you say that you're a Christian, Scott, but we decided that you're not a Christian, and that you're anti-Christian, and that's why you gave me a bad grade. But we're praying for you. Oh, far out. You know, like, I mean, like, you know, C minus for the paper, but A plus for unmitigated gall, you freshman punk. But, but that's not what I said. I said instead, I said, well, thank you for the prayers. I certainly can always use prayers. But I gave you a bad grade, not because I'm anti-Christian, but because your paper sucked. That's the problem here. Okay, he did not do a good job. If I had not been a Christian, he would have made me not want to be a Christian. In fact, I was a Christian, and he made me not want to be a Christian. If we want to shift the culture, we need to be respected, which means we do a good job at what we're given to do. And by that, I don't mean we're a raging success. That's not what I mean. I mean we work diligently. We have integrity. We show compassion. The way we do little things is the way we do everything. The way we do little things is the way we do everything. So if we do our jobs well... People will trust us with the big things of their spiritual life. Second way that we shift the cultural atmosphere around us is through moral influence. You know, a lot of Christians today, you just see it in the news, seeking power. If only we can get this law passed or that law passed, and that's fine. But there's a difference between moral influence and power. Mother Teresa held no political office, but she had moral influence. She could move millions. Martin Luther King, moral influence. And moral influence is actually more powerful than power. Because you see, laws, those are just a reflection of cultural values. The person who shifts the cultural values, that's the person who makes a real difference. And at the end of the story, the king is so impressed by Daniel's courage that he says, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. It's probably the first instance of religious tolerance in all of human history. Daniel, Daniel influenced the king to change the religious policy of his empire. And how did Daniel get that kind of moral influence? How do we get moral influence? You, I've got to warn you, you're going to hate this next point. 
Okay, I just got to work. I, I hate that. I wrote it, and I hate this next point because it's hard. How do we get moral influence? We got to sacrifice. Oh, man. Why didn't I watch the Seahawks game? This is tough, right? It is a hard teaching, right? And this runs so counter to American comfort-seeking consumer Christianity. Back during the Capitol campaign years ago, I remember a man telling me that he'd been talking with his kids about how, what they could sacrifice in order to be able to give more to the Capitol campaign. And he said, they're not quite getting it yet. They keep suggesting things like, we could give up going to the dentist. Right? Or they'd, they'd want to sacrifice stuff that they knew that their siblings liked, but that they didn't personally like themselves. We do not like to sacrifice. That's not in our DNA, in our culture. But I am preaching it on a Seahawks Sunday you, the, where only the really faithful or those with DVRs come to church. So you are the ones that can handle this hard teaching. Right? We gain moral influence when we sacrifice. But there are rewards to sacrifice. It's not just misery. For starters, it shapes our heart to be more like Jesus, less tied up in knots about our thing, our stuff, our kingdom, our agenda. Second, we get to be part of what God's doing. Every time I hear a story about a kid who's being rescued from cycles of poverty by Eastside Academy or Jubilee Reach or stories of people who came here beat up or bored and here they find Jesus and community and joy and a mission bigger than themselves. I hear those stories and I am glad to be part of it through the money and time that my wife and I have given, along with the rest of you, to make all that happen. And it gives me a way better feeling than anything else I could have done with that money or that time. The new car, the exotic vacation, it just wears off. You know, exotic vacation is done the minute you hit the airport. And those things aren't bad. In fact, we even need some of those things. Happy isn't bad, it's just not enough. Happy isn't bad, it's just not enough. We were made for the meaningful life. Our consumer Christian faith makes, it's just too small. We make it about comfort and happiness and success, whereas Jesus makes it about this big adventure of saving the world, his rescue mission. And then the third, third result of sacrifice is we gain moral influence and become culture changers in the places that God has put us. As Jesse said last week, power does not change the world. Vulnerability changes the world. But not wimpy weak vulnerability, courageous, strong vulnerability, the kind that Daniel shows in this story, willing to be go, go to the lion's den rather than stop praying to God. Now, I'm not saying that we make ourselves doormats and get abused. That's not good for us, not good for the people who mistreat us. But I'm saying when we walk our talk instead of obnoxiously shouting at the culture, and when we sacrifice to live as Jesus calls us to live, we gain moral influence on those around us. When Daniel's colleagues find out that the king wants to promote him, they get jealous. So they look for something to accuse him of, but they can't because he's got too much integrity. So they say, we'll never find any basis for charges against him unless he has something to, unless it has something to do with his God. So they went as a group to the king and they said, we have all agreed, that's always a dangerous sign when all of your advisors say that, that the king should issue an edict. I left out the interdict word because it's hard to say. Edict that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown to the lions. Well, isn't that a good idea? King just loves it, because it appeals to his vanity. Now, I'm pretty sure your boss or your teacher has never said, unless you better bow down to me or else. I'm pretty sure no one's experienced that. But this is really similar to the pressures that you and I face every day. You could rephrase this verse in a lot of different ways. So the Microsoft and Boeing and Amazon managers all agreed that 90 hours a week shalt thou work. 
92 or 95 hours thou mayest work, but on the day ye only work 89 hours, on that day your career shall surely die. And you will sit in a lesser cubicle. Neither shall you be promoted. You could rewrite this verse to go like this. So all the students agreed that so-and-so really was a giant dork and therefore shall be shunned in the cafeteria halls. Yea, verily, even under the classrooms and gymnasiums shall so-and-so be, be, be shunned, mocked, reviled, and all manner of things. See, we face a million unspoken edicts to bow down to the cultural, economic, social, relational gods around us. But here's what Daniel does about it. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. And then he's caught by his jealous colleagues who are spying on him, thrown into the lion's den. You know the rest of the story. Lions don't eat him. Because of all of that, he gained moral influence that touched the conscience of a nation because, and here's the key, it cost him something. Even though the lions didn't hurt him, that's not the point. The point was he was willing to go to the lion's den. He didn't demand that everyone else conform to his religious agenda, his moral ideas. He simply followed God himself rather than bow his knee to the king and worship him. See, throughout Scripture, there's this tension between two metaphors, Jerusalem on the one hand, which is home, and exile. And a lot of Christians, what I see in our culture, a lot of Christians living as though we're still in Jerusalem. And then we seek Jerusalem sorts of answers. Get this law passed, get that law passed, and all of that's fine, but except for the fact that we don't live in Jerusalem. We're in exile. We've got to start living exile kinds of lives because that's where we're at these days. Jesus did not come to establish a theocracy. His, his solutions were not political, guys. They were not political. He came to shift the culture by shifting one heart at a time. Now, it is fine for us to advocate our values in the marketplace of ideas. That's fine. But it sometimes seems to me, and it certainly seems to our culture, that what Christians are doing these days is demanding that everyone else conform to our moral compass. Daniel neither flaunted nor hid his faith. He didn't flaunt or hide his faith. In fact, the fact that he has been in a government job for 60 years shows that he, for most of his life, went as far as he could to obey the expectations of his boss. But when it conflicted with God's law, the things that God has called us to do, he followed God in as humble a way as he could. He did not go pray belligerently in front of the king. He prayed in his room. And we walk this tightrope every day. How far can I go to meet the expectations of my boss? How far can I go to meet the expectations of my culture? How far can I go and not go too far? And we got to discern that through prayer, through scripture, through a community of Christians who can help us figure that out. Because there is a too far. There is a too far. And when we humbly but courageously set that limit, it is often attractive. I've shared with you in the past that my teenage years were a little wild, a lot of extracurricular activities, if you know what I mean. And all of that is on record in my past sermons, which now that I have two teenagers, I find that alarming. Like they can look up all of it, they can find all of that. I got some explaining to do. But they're not here today, so we're just going to keep this sermon illustration to ourselves, okay? What happens in church stays in church, don't tell them. Anyway, I was in high school at this party, and lots of folks were getting drunk. Now, mind you, this lifestyle was wrecking me. I was only doing it to be accepted, but I still wasn't accepted. I was getting terrible grades, destroying my future, but I thought I was really cool. And there's this one woman at the party who was a Christian, and she was there with some friends, and she was having more fun than anyone else. Her jokes were the funniest jokes in the room, but she wasn't drinking, which may have been why her jokes were actually funny. And some folks got on her case about not drinking. 
And she simply said, you know what, not my cup of tea. For me, that's a way to turn a really fun night bad. Wrecks a really fun night. I didn't let on, but I was so impressed by her self-confidence. She didn't need to drink to have fun or friends. She was, had more friends than I did. She was having more fun than I was having. And I remember that moment to this day, decades later. It, it was one of three critical moments that over the next following years led me to become a Christian. I don't even know her name. It might have been one of you for all I know. In fact, thank you if it was you. Look at the influence she had. She turns down one drink and poof, I'm a pastor. <laughs> right, like that's just a ton of moral influence. Like that's a lot of power. Right? And this is the way of Jesus. In fact, this story points to Jesus so clearly. Like Daniel, Jesus was falsely accused. Like Daniel, Jesus was arrested at prayer. Like Daniel, Jesus descends into a den of death. See, Jesus said, I will not seek power, I will yield power. Be born poor and die a criminal's death. But in the process, I'm going to forgive every sin ever sinned and I'm going to conquer death by rising again. Was Jesus a cultural influencer? Yeah, just a bit. Was Jesus a wimp? Not so much. So what might that mean for you and for me? Lots of things. It might mean, for instance, that our careers are not just to feather our own nest, but to bring everyone in the east side up through how you treat your employees or how you teach your students or how you don't just work for your career to succeed, but you help your coworkers succeed as well. It might mean lending a listening ear to someone in need. It might mean loving our spouses in sacrificial ways that lead to really amazing marriages that people are drawn to. It means being the funnest people on the planet. Wouldn't it be great if when people wanted to have fun, the first thing they thought of is, let's go to church? Right, like kind of a contradiction right now, but wouldn't that be cool? Like right now, you know, you're fun, and one of those association tests, you know, fun, people don't say church. Not the first word that comes to their mind. What if it was? What if it was? And if we do those things, even if it costs us something, we become confusingly yet attractively different, which makes people want Jesus, which shifts hearts one heart at a time, and that changes the culture. And in the process, we become more blessed. You know, it's interesting in this story that they put Daniel in the lion's den. And then it says, The king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment, and he could not sleep. King's having a worse night than Daniel. King's in the palace, Daniel's in the lion's den, Daniel's having a better night than the king. Because Daniel is experiencing the presence of Jesus. Because Daniel is about something bigger than himself, not just his own little agenda like the king is. Because Daniel knows that his life is going to mean something. He's about to shift the religious policy of the whole empire. Daniel knows that Jesus is with him. Daniel knows his life counts. Daniel has meaning, not just happiness. And there are times when God spares us from suffering. There are those times. But then there will be times where if we suffer and sacrifice a little, there's going to be a greater good accomplished. It may take years, but God will. God will use it. That loss you're facing... That sacrifice you're going through right now, God will use it to help you experience him more, to shape your heart and to help others see who he is, which gradually begins to change people over time, and you become a culture shaper. I just heard a story from a pastor I'll call Tim, who frequented a pizza shop owned by a guy named Emilio, and Emilio hates Christians. In fact, he, Emilio collects newspaper articles about fallen pastors, and he tapes them to the rack where they put their orders every day. He called it the rack of shame. And whenever Tim would come in for pizza, Emilio would slide a few newspaper clippings in front of him and say, see this? This padre walked off with 80K. 
See, see this pastor, he slept with three people in his church. See why I don't need your Christian stuff? And at one point, Tim got so mad, he sort of blurted out, well, what does that prove? What, what if I started a rack of shame for pizza makers and said I was never going to eat pizza again? And Tim said he spent the next couple of weeks going through newspapers trying to find articles about, you know, pizza makers who, like, spit in the dough or use cheap ragu or something like that. And said, but apparently pizza guys live a pretty clean life. And as Tim sort of prayed about that, he got the feeling that, you know, this isn't how Jesus would handle it. And so one day he went in and he said, I need to order, I need to order two slices of cheese pizza and I need to ask your forgiveness. And Emilio kind of said, is this a joke? And Tim said, no, no, I really am sorry for being a jerk and for arguing with you, and I really do want those slices of pizza. And he said, you know what, we pastors, we can be decent people sometimes, but sometimes we're just hypocrites. In fact, a lot of times I'm a sham, and that's why I need Jesus to forgive me. Immediately, Emilio softened up, and they started having a conversation. And in the months that followed, they actually ended up being pretty good friends, and they're talking about Jesus, and Emilio's getting kind of interested. But Tim said, I didn't do it as an evangelism strategy. I said it because it's the truth. The gospel means that we are more flawed than we'd ever dare admit, and we are more loved than we would ever dare believe. I qualify for the cosmic rack of shame, but Jesus took my place on that rack and set me free. And he said, Emilio, my anti-Christian pizza friend, he helped me to see the gospel. I didn't evangelize him. He evangelized me. Tim said, I, I guess I have to be more careful because Jesus just keeps sneaking up on me. Never know where he's going to pop up next. Perfect. He walked his talk. He sacrificed. He became vulnerable, not in a wimpy way, but in a courageous way. And in the process, he was blessed. He was set free. He thrived in an exile experience and began to shift Emilio's heart as well. And who knows where that will lead. He is changing the culture of that pizza shop. And anyone can do this. You, me. So what does that mean for you? What, what sacrifices might God be asking you to make or you are making? And how might that begin to shift hearts around you over time as they see you pay a price for your faith? And how will that help you thrive by moving you from a happy life, which is fine, but not enough, to a meaningful life? You see, this is the way we're transformed. And this is the way our lives matter. And this is the way we shape the culture around us. Not through power or privilege or prestige or pushiness or any of that. Because you see, every empire eventually fades away. The Babylonian Empire, gone. Persian Empire, history. Just like one day the Democratic and Republican parties and eventually the United States will be gone, as well as the little kingdoms you and I try to build every single day of our life because the powers that be soon become the powers that have been, which is why power and prestige and pushiness, it's not all that. It's not all that in a bag of chips. But Jesus and his kingdom way, that's going to go marching on and on and on, and even the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So I don't know about you, but I want to be part of that. Not the power thing, the Jesus thing because that's what's going to last forever. So Jesus asked that you would please help us to be those kind of people, live those kinds of lives, be culture shapers and meaning makers. Lord, help us to see you and follow you this week and hear your call when you ask us even just a little sacrifice so that we can be your people. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.